Welcome to the Inside Story. I'm Billy Hollowell, and I'm joined today by Christian Post reporter Brandon Showalter. We're going to be talking about American Girl and a controversy that has been swirling around that company. How's it going today, Brandon? Hi, Billy. It's good to be with you. So there's a lot to unpack in this story, but American Girl, which is a beloved brand, I mean, this has been a brand that young American girls have loved for eons. They have put out a new book. It's called The Smart Girl's Guide, Body Image. And this book on the surface sounds like, oh, great, it's a book dealing with body image. That's a great thing for young girls. But some contents of the book have really piqued people's interest and sparked a lot of debate and discussion. Can you tell us about what's going on in this book? Yes, the book is called Smart Girl Guide, A Smart Girl's Guide to Body Image by Mel Hammond, and it was published earlier this year, I believe in February. And it's pretty insidious because the book actually starts out with some very positive messages about how girls should love their bodies, that their bodies are good. But long about page, I think it's 36 or maybe 38, they introduce puberty blockers. And it basically says that if you are uncomfortable with changes in your bodies, you, you can go to a doctor and he or she will prescribe medicine. They don't say blockers, but they say medicine to delay the changes that puberty brings. And so mixed in with some otherwise good messages, they introduce this, what I believe is one of the worst medical scandals the world's ever seen. Puberty blockers halt brain development. Um, they cause vision blindness. The FDA just put a warning label on blockers, say vision loss and uh, brain swelling, in addition to a bunch of other disastrous health effects. And so even a wholesome brand like American Girl is now increasingly captured by postmodern gender dogma. And I want to get into that a little bit more, but but let's first talk about how this became a national story. It very quickly blew up. And this was something that originated at the Christian Post. Um, it originated as an opinion piece at, at a reflection at the Christian Post. Can you tell us a little bit about, about that backstory? Yes. And it was an op-ed. And though I am not an op-ed editor, it was a mom who reached out to me, Ann Young, who, because of my extensive reporting on these issues, she said, you know, I've got an op-ed to submit. I found this while I was shopping at an American Girl store, and I was looking through this book, and I saw it, and I was just so horrified. So she wrote an op-ed talking about how American Girl, this what she thought was a wholesome brand, was promoting this kind of thing. And she had all the receipts. She you know, explained in her article just what was being pushed and promoted. Uh, and then we have the, the timestamp several hours earlier before the Daily Mail then picked up the story. And from then it just went viral. But we were definitely the first on the Christian Post Voices page to expose what American Girl was doing. And I want to emphasize the fact here that this is a mother who is shopping in a store and parents are busy and it's not an excuse not to monitor what your kids are doing, but the reality is the amount of information coming at children is in, in all of us, not just kids, is insane. And so this mother's at the store. She happens to notice this. Had she not noticed it, maybe somebody else would have. But there are parents and grandparents and aunts and uncles who were probably buying that book for kids in their lives, not knowing what was in the book, right? Assuming they could trust this brand to give their kids something that was wholesome and that was pure. And yet this is what is there. So she puts the story out there. This story has blown up and American Girl, they've actually responded to this controversy. Um, first, let's, before we get to their response, why do you think there has been such a response among parents to the contents of this book? 
The response has been because they didn't expect it from American Girl. American Girl has a storied memory with within a lot of minds of parents where they their daughters grew up on those dolls or even when they were younger, they read those books, you know, girls that were from different historical time periods, uh, Felicity, Kirsten, Addie, Samantha and Molly, you know, those were I think the original five where you learn about what girls' lives were like, and you bought the dolls, and you read the books. They were educational. They valued America, and so they didn't expect to see this kind of twisted, sick, you know, medicalization being pushed in the pages of a book in a company that they thought was so noble. Uh, and they're finding that there's not a single square inch of culture um, <laughs> where the gender ideologues haven't colonized and corrupted, as I sometimes like to say. So the outrage, I think, was precipitated because it was from an unexpected source. So so that outrage follows. The company has a couple of choices. They could have remained silent, although when something is going that viral, <clears throat> silence is not always the best <laughs> the best option. They chose to speak out. What did American girls say to those parents who were concerned about the contents of this book? They were outraged that uh, somehow, well, well, that they would in a book about body image that it was described as body positivity, the manipulative language that blockers, puberty blockers were, was called medicine and that that is a way to love your body. The very opposite of the truth was being sewn and in, into children's books as this, you know, being, it's being broadcast as this healthy doctor prescribed thing that you can love your body, but if you're uncomfortable with it, you can change it with drugs. And um, as Ann Young pointed out in her op-ed, uh, Lupron, a very, that's, a, that's a cancer drug. That's a, you know, endometriosis in women, prostate cancer in men. But Lupron is, has been given to sex offenders to chemically castrate them. And it's a pediatric Lupron. It's different from adult Lupron, but it's the same pituitary mechanism. It's the same family of drugs. Uh, so these are the kinds of drugs that are being pushed in an American girl children's book for girls telling them that, yes, uh, you can change your body if you don't like it or if you're uncomfortable with it. I mean, and you can figure out your quote unquote gender identity and gender identity. I just cannot be emphasized enough. Billy is a lie. There's not a blood test, a genetic marker or a single brain imaging scan to prove this existence of this thing, which they assert is rooted in science. It's completely false. It's completely contrived. It's a false category of personhood that's being jammed into our laws and regulations and public policies across the nation. Mm -hmm. But it's an incredibly damaging message, message to send to young people, especially girls, because they're the most vulnerable you know, demographic to transgender um, identification. Uh, they're told that they have a gender identity that is separate from their sex. It's neo-gnosticism on steroids, literally. Well, the author of this book, right? I mean, you always, I always have a question when there's a book that comes out with a brand, you have to assume the brand has vetted the book. You wouldn't slap your name if you're a competent brand on a book that you weren't confident of all the contents of, right? And this is the same for Girl Scouts and other organizations where there have been controversial things that have come up in content where you have to say to yourself, either somebody was really sloppy and they just said, oh yeah, put our name on it, or they read it and they were okay with it. And then that begs the question, where did the content come from? Who inspired this content, right? I mean, was it the author herself? Was it somebody else? Do we have any indication of why they would choose to put this content in and where it would come from? 
I don't know uh, what the American girl executives or any of the top brass were thinking unless they just thought they're going to score woke points or to be cool and trendy and hip and you know LGBTQ plus friendly. I don't know exactly what they were thinking. I know there is a tremendous amount of ideological pressure in corporate boardrooms and in every sphere of society now to just go along with this and celebrate this. And uh, there's money that's involved, I'm sure. Uh, what I can say is that Mel Hammond, the author of that book that we're talking about, specifically thanked a doctor from Boston Children's Hospital and I believe Harvard Medical School. She thanked that doctor, Carly Gus, on her website who helped, quote, bring the book to life. And so uh, this mom looked up Carly Gus to see what this doctor's all about. And of course, in light of the news about what Boston Children's Hospital has been doing for years, even advertising these disfiguring surgeries on minors and all these other drugs, they were, Boston Children's is where the first pediatric gender clinic opened in 2007 in the United States. She just did a little research. And so there was a collaborative effort between the author of that American Girl book and this doctor who is one of the biggest pushers of this transgender medicalization. That's indisputably a fact. Uh, to what degree they collaborated, uh, the mom didn't know, but it's the author thanked that doctor by name. So there was clearly some working together behind the scenes on messaging this book. And if you read some of the doctor's public writing, uh, the messaging strategy was pretty evident. Yeah, or at the least, there was some sort of inspiration based on the work that that doctor had right. done, I would assume. There's clearly a connection there. The uh, doctor okay. suggested, that I can say that the doctor suggested in a JAMA Pediatrics article that, I mean, and only, you know, gender clinicians and other doctors and medical professionals read that medical journal. She actually instructs them, along with a co-author from a doctor from, I think, Houston, um, that you should not even use the term puberty blocker, sort of move away and describe it in these technical, clinical, mechanistic ways about how these hormonal agents work, with the presumption that any parent who reads it is going to be too dim to understand this complicated medicine, as I think that's how Ann Young put it, and I agree. So uh, it's it's clearly deceptive linguistic manipulation in order to try to hide what's really going on, and in a, in a medium you wouldn't expect it in a children's book. So as we round out to a close here, because you've done a great job recapping this for us, you also have been, I mean, this is an area, anybody who's listened to this podcast or seen your work, they know that you are an expert in this area as a journalist and a reporter. You have covered this probably more than anybody else has in the world, if not um, in our country. And you have talked about everything from the youth um, aspect of this, the the medical issues there, all the way down to the general issue of the trans transgender debate. You have a podcast, Generation Indoctrination, where you have really vetted this all out. You recently put out a bonus episode on that. I would encourage people to check that out. It's generationindoctrination.com. But what are you hoping people take away from that podcast and from the work you do more generally? Well, I do hope that people do listen to all five episodes plus the bonus episode of that podcast series. I am quite proud of it, and we at the Christian Post are quite pleased with how it turned out. Um, it's a comprehensive overview of everything that's assaulting our children and some of the most vulnerable members of our society. You mentioned the bonus episode where we talk about women in prison under the banner of a so-called gender identity today, and it's unbelievable, but, but it's actually happening. Women, many of whom have histories of domestic violence and substance abuse, are locked up with sadistic rapists and murderers who are men. They claim to be women, but state laws, and in Canada's case, a national law, has enabled the placement of these violent criminals 
into women's correctional facilities. Their human rights are completely disregarded while mainstream human rights groups are silent on these issues because they too have been captured by this dogma. And I interviewed three stellar advocates, Amy Ichikawa, Heather Mason, and Amanda Stolman, who are contending that these women have some dignity in the prison system. I hope that when people listen to this whole series, they will be encouraged to speak up for the most vulnerable members of our society. And I gotta say, Billy, though there are some noble exceptions, Christians by and large aren't getting it, not nearly fast quickly enough. And I would just ask them again, how many is too many? How, how many children have to wind up castrated and disfigured? And how many women have to be raped and beaten and assaulted and tormented in prison before you rise up and say, that's enough, I've had enough. Uh, the hour demands that you speak. And so find a way to speak and do it. Brandon Showalter, as always, I appreciate you taking the time to talk through these essential issues. Thank you, Billy. Everyone else, make sure you tune in next week for another episode of The Inside Story. Again, to hear more from Brandon and Generation Indoctrination, head over to generationindoctrination.com. We'll see you next week. Mm -hmm.